As our children are dismissed uh, to go to Children's Church and the choir comes down, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23, 32 to 43 is what we'll be looking at today. We're going to focus in on verse 43, but I'll put it in context and back up a number of uh, verses. We are taking a little break, uh, we, or on Communion Sundays, we're taking a break from our Acts study and reflecting on the seven last sayings of Christ on the cross last time, last month, we looked at the first saying, which we'll read again today, but Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, the, the word of forgiveness. Today, we're going to focus in on Jesus' words to one of the thieves that were crucified next to him. Today you will be with me in paradise. Let's hear God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. There are two things I want us to see today from this passage. I want us to see the birth of a Christian and then the death of a Christian. First, there are some things I want you to see in this passage concerning the birth of a Christian. Two criminals, villains, were crucified next to Jesus Christ, as we read, and, and they are certainly more than just petty thieves. They were probably insurrectionists, freedom fighters against the Romans. They may have been even in Barabbas's gang, Barabbas being the man who was released in the, in the place of Christ by Pontius Pilate. He was described as a robber and an insurrectionist, robbing from the Romans, pirates, seeking to undermine the Roman government by taking from the Romans. That's certainly why they are receiving such a harsh treatment at the hands of the Romans. The other gospel writers tell us that these two criminals joined the crowds in mocking and reviling Christ. They all knew what, that he had claimed to be the Messiah, and they saw the things that he had done and heard the words that he spoke. But for one of these men, something changes. And that something is him. He changes there as he hangs on the cross next to Jesus. 
Here we see a, a wicked, lawless, hardened criminal, a villain whose life has finally caught up with him, experiencing the lavish love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, Jesus tells this man, you will be with me in paradise. What great news for this sinful, sinful, villainous man. So what prompted the change? What prompted the change in this man's perspective in going from one minute to mocking Christ to the next moment confessing Christ, uh, seeking Christ's favor? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but there were certainly some factors that we see here that would have been involved. First and foremost, as we know from the rest of scriptures, the Holy Spirit would have had to regenerate his heart. This drastic change in this man was certainly a supernatural change. No person can change his own heart. Only God can do that. Because only God can bring life to where there's death. The Bible tells us that without Christ we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And this man was spiritually dead until he was quickened, brought to life by the Spirit working in his heart. Now that just didn't happen. Well, it did in a sense just happen. The Holy Spirit is sovereign because he's God. But it happens in conjunction with some other factors. And we see here as well what's going on at the scene of the cross. Obviously, as we hear the words of this, this one who's described as a thief and a robber, we rec he recognizes that he is about to come before the judgment. Judgment before God for all of his crimes. And he's certain to be condemned by God. He, he tells the other, uh, the other thief, you know, do not fear God. We are rightly condemned for our crimes here on the cross. See, he knows that he is facing the condemnation of God. As the writer of Hebrews says, and this is what the thief knew, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So he knew he was facing judgment. And in those moments, as the life is draining from this man, he hears the words of Jesus, the first thing that Jesus said there on the cross. While being crucified and mocked and reviled and all that Jesus has gone through and is going through, he looks upon those people and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus offers forgiveness or seeks forgiveness for these sinful people who are putting him to death. And this villain, this thief, this robber, was one of them. And he recognized that. So he calls on Jesus for mercy. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit mixed with the word of Christ is life transforming. That's why we're here today. We need to hear the word of Christ and the Holy Spirit applies that in our lives and it transforms us. And that's what's happened to this thief on the cross. The transforming power the Holy Spirit mixes with the word of Christ and his, land, his life is transformed. What do we see? We, we see the results of this new birth, this regeneration of his heart. 
you'll notice the rebuke the man gives to his partner. Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Only the Spirit can take a, a freedom fighter now, uh, a, a person who would, be, who would believe that they are rightly fighting for their just cause. This man and his friends wanted to overthrow the Romans. They wanted to, to bring back Israel from being an oppressed nation. And they were obviously open to doing anything to bring that about and to feel right about it. So he is a person who would have believed in that cause and been willing to do anything for it and then to in a moment have his eyes opened to see his soul as it really is and the sinfulness that's there and to, to be able to confess, you know, I am hanging here for a cause to saying I deserve to die because I'm a sinner. That's a, a massive transformation. Only the Spirit can do that. He has, he's experiencing repentance for his sins. And it begs the question to us today, have you ever come to that place in your life where not only have you repented of your sinfulness, of the things that you know you've done wrong, but also your righteousness, the things that you feel that you are justified in doing, the things that make you feel worthy before God. Because even though those things are probably more dangerous than sin itself, because they are sinful. The things that we would say, I did this, Lord, you owe me salvation. I've done all these good things. You know, I've merited it from your hand. This man, and hopefully all of us here today, can sing... The old hymn, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That man was not resting upon his, his record. Uh, he, he was not saying, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> he was not saying to the Lord, <clears throat> He was not saying to the Lord that he had a cause that was righteous and therefore should be accepted and forgiven because, hey, he, he was doing it all for the right cause. No, he sees that all of his life is broken. So we see repentance here, true repentance in this man. He's, he's not only repentant of his bad deeds, but even the things that he might think were acceptable to God. We see also the flip side of repentance, which is faith. <clears throat> he confesses Christ. He, he believes in Christ. He he's obviously knows something of the record of Christ. And he confesses that Jesus is sinless and that Jesus is a king with a kingdom. See, in his heart, even though he's nailed to a cross, <clears throat> he is bowing the knee to King Jesus. And he has one request for Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
This man desires to be a part of Jesus' everlasting kingdom, to be one of his subjects, to be allowed to live with Christ. He wants Christ in his life. And you notice the grace and mercy extended to this penitent sinner. He obviously had, <clears throat> he didn't have a chance to do anything good to earn salvation. So we know he, he didn't deserve to spend eternity in paradise because of his life and he hadn't earned the right to one second in that place of eternal joy that cannot be described or even imagined by us humans. But Jesus gives him the certain assurance that he will be there with Jesus and in short order. Today you will be with me in paradise. What a great promise. Now notice this. <clears throat> notice the difference in the requests of the two criminals hanging there. One of the criminals, uh, the first criminal, says this, verse 39. Are you not the Christ? He's joining in the chorus of those people around him. The Romans, uh, the, the Jews, the leaders, uh, the religious leaders who are there. Uh, you know, if you're, the, if you're the Messiah, come down off the cross. You know, uh, a Messiah, a Savior, uh, they were falling into the error of thinking that, well, if, you, if you're, you're going to die, then you can't save anybody, can you? You know, what kind of Messiah dies? So that was wrong thinking on their part. They couldn't fathom what Jesus was about. And this criminal falls into the same error. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. In other words, if you really are the Messiah, then, then save us, then be the one and step forward and get us out of this situation. Save me, and then I'll believe in you if you are the Christ. See, he has a test for Jesus. Pass the test, and then I'll believe in you. Get me out of here, and I'll believe it. But Jesus has already given him all the criteria he needs. He's done miracles. He's, done, he's given his teaching out. Uh, his character has been on display for three years. And it, has, it wasn't done in a, in a closet. It wasn't done undercover. Everybody could see it. People many times will not believe in God because they've turned to him at a time of need and said, fix this and I'll believe in you. Have you ever made a deal like that with God? Lord, get me out of this and I will be faithful to you. I will follow you. If you use this criteria, you are setting yourself up for failure. It's a bad test. It won't work. What you're saying, in essence, if you are God, you will agree with me about what I need. But see, you're not really wanting God. You're just wanting a divine personal assistant. And you'll never find God in this way because that's not who God is. What you're saying is you believe in a God who is powerful enough to help you, but God is not as wise as you are. You know, you, you know what's best for yourself, and so you just want God to give you what you think is best. There's no room in your your mind or your heart for a God who is all-powerful and all-wise, who only gives us, you know, what we would ask for ourselves if we knew what he knew. God only brings those things into your life because he loves you 
and we can't even imagine it sometimes because sometimes the things that we go through are so difficult. But that's why we trust him. He loves us, and he has got our best in, in mind and our best interest at heart. But when we come to him and say, Lord, here's what's best for me, do it. We're just using God. We talked about that last week. We're just using Jesus to give us what we want. And that's no way to know God. God did not reveal himself that way. The second thief, on the other hand, recognizes the difference between having God as the means versus having God as the end. Do you see the difference there? The first thief is using Jesus as a means to an end. I'm going to use Jesus to get what I want, which is to be off this cross and free again. The second thief is saying, Jesus, I just want you. And it, I don't care about the trouble I'm going through as long as I've got you. That's a huge difference. That's the difference between having Jesus as a negotiable and a non-negotiable. See, when you say, Jesus, I'll follow you if you'll give me this or if you'll fix this or if you'll rescue me from that, what's, what's non-negotiable is the thing that you want. Jesus is negotiable. As long as you give me what I want, Lord, I'll follow you. <clears throat> I'll have you. But if you don't give me what I want, then I don't need you. See, what's most important is that thing, whatever it is. But for the second thief, it was like, trouble is, it doesn't matter if I'm in trouble or out of trouble, as long as I have you. That's non-negotiable. That's the difference between having Jesus as a means and Jesus, having Jesus as the end. Have you been treating Jesus if he, as if he were the means to the end that you desire? Or is Jesus the end for you? Can you say with the psalmist, Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's what this man on the cross discovered and what he was pursuing. Now, secondly, this passage not only teaches us about the birth of a Christian, but it teaches us about a second thing, the death of a Christian. What will happen to this second criminal in just a short while when he dies? In, in minutes. And what happens to him is what happens to every believer when he or she dies. Today, they are with him in paradise. And what, what a great, comforting thought this is. Now, there's much confusion out there about what happens to a believer when they die, even amongst Christians. Some people believe that you just simply cease existing, that you're food for worms. Most Christians don't believe this, obviously. Uh, this is uh, an atheistic belief. Some people believe that Christians who die lose consciousness and enter a soul sleep. That's a, a common teaching. But it's because they've taken the words of Paul, for example, uh, where it talks about those who have fallen asleep. We don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. Uh, it's a metaphor for dying. That's what we believe. So there's no such thing as soul sleep. When you die... You go and be with the Lord. Today, you go and you are with the Lord in heaven. Your soul is. 
Some people believe that dead Christians become angels, and, and that's not true. Sometimes people say that just to be sweet, you know. Oh, Jesus, the Lord needed another angel in heaven. It's a, it's a nice sentiment to say, but it's not true. People do not become angels. Angels are heavenly beings. They're created beings. Just They're not human beings. We are humans, and they are angels, and, and we're not. The writer of Hebrew tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Angels minister to us. They help us. They're sent by God to help us, which is really nice. So they don't become angels. What Jesus says here to this uh, thief on the cross is the antidote to all this false teaching. Today you will be with me in paradise. When, when all true Christians die, their immortal soul returns to God and is made perfect in holiness. They are received into the highest heavens and they behold the face of God in light and glory. They are there with him. Their bodies are typically buried in the ground or cremated, but those bodies are still united to Christ even though their soul is with the Lord. Bodies are still united to Christ. That's why typically Protestants don't practice cremation, though I'm not here arguing against cremation. If you want to be cremated, that's fine. Some people get blown up in airplane crashes, and I'm sure there were Christians who have gotten blown up with bombs. The Lord, and there, there are people who died thousands of years ago, and their bodies have completely decayed. When Christ returns, the souls of believers will be united to their bodies, no matter where they are no matter if they were obliterated with a nuclear bomb. He's that powerful. And he will unite their bodies and their souls together and they will live for him for, with him forever in the new heavens and new earth. He's going to renew this creation. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden, paradise again. So in the meantime, before Christ returns and we get those bodies, our souls are with the Lord in perfect blessedness forever. Now, are these words of Jesus to the thief a comfort to you? Today you will be with me in paradise. So we don't need to fear death. Christ rose again from the dead. He conquered death. We don't have to fear death anymore. Because even though our bodies will die, our souls will not die. They will be forever with the Lord in paradise. And that's a comfort. Jesus said, today you will be with me. And that's what I want to ask you. Is that a comfort? Some people just want Jesus to save them from hell. And they want to go to heaven. But Jesus, the promise that he gives to this man is that you will be with me in paradise. And I'm sure that was a delight to that man's soul. Is that a delight to your soul? That you will be with Jesus. And what I'm asking here is do you have a personal relationship with Christ? Do you know him? You know... The very important doctrine that we believe in is, is union with Christ. We are united with Christ. So what is his is ours. We are all part of the body of Christ. He's the head. We have blessings that flow to us from Christ because we are, like in marriage, that's what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, a covenant relationship where we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We are united to him. So his death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. His perfect righteousness is our perfect righteousness. And that's how we are saved. Are you united to Christ? 
do we experience that in reality, that this union with Christ, that he is always with us, that we can speak to him in prayer, that we can hear him in his word? Are we listening to him? Are we close to him? That gives comfort when we hear, today you will be with me in paradise. If, if Jesus is the end, if he's the greatest thing that we're looking forward to, then those words will be of great comfort. We will be with the one that we desire the most in heaven. That will be, yes, we'll be going, oh, hallelujah. But if he's just the means to an end, that won't appeal to us. We'll be just looking for Jesus to give us something. And whether he's there or not, it won't matter. I want to challenge us all today to seek to know Christ personally like this man on the thief uh, on the cross was introduced to Christ at 11.59, just before midnight of his life. It doesn't happen that way very often. Do you know him today? Today is the day of salvation, the Bible tells us. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us to know you in a personal relationship. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to, to open our eyes and our hearts to help us to see how we have tried to use you. We have tried to use you as a, a means to an end. But we haven't found in you our all in all. We don't look to you as, as our portion. We look to so many other things. Our hearts are idle factories. Lord, we're wayward. We get to finding comfort and security and peace in, in all the things that are created instead of in you, our creator. Lord, we pray that you would help us to discover how great you are and how our, we were created to glorify you and enjoy you forever. Our hearts are dull and cold. We pray that you would warm them, uh, bring life there, Help us to delight in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.